0: Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca Frady, your host. Hello, hello. Welcome back, FransDance. Today, we will have a short mini episode, just about a half an hour. It is not about Sukkot or the Yom Tovim, it's actually about being a parent of a child with ADD, ADHD. If you'd like some inspiration or conversations around succus, definitely check out Orthodox Conundrum. If you'd like to join the WhatsApp discussion group of The Francisca Show, please message me and I'll give you a link to join. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. You can also send me messages. I love hearing feedback. I'm also looking for volunteers. If you have a fascinating story, or you just have something I haven't thought of yet, please suggest it. We have had some requests to do more on narcissism, so if your parent was a narcissist, is a narcissist, we'd love to hear your story as well. I hope this episode is educational. Thank you for the suggestion. I'm so grateful for our guest today. It's just incredible. It's incredible that we could have these conversations today in this day and age. It's amazing to see how it affects others, the community, our perspective and tolerance. I don't know if that's the word of different people, just understanding them better. So thank you for being on this journey with me. This is a Jewish coffee house podcast so if you enjoy this podcast you might enjoy the other podcasts on the network check out orthodox conundrum intimate judaism Nishim, and let my people eat and let's get started welcome to the francisco show today with us we have sarah hirsch from lower marion Balakinwood. welcome to the show thank you we're here to talk about parenting children with ADHD. And someone actually, the other Shabbos told me, you have to cover that on your podcast. And then I posted it, you responded. And I'm so glad that you teach at the school, our kids go to in this community. And what you have to say is so important. And I'm excited to start this conversation. I'm sure for parents with children of ADHD, they know a lot of this already. But I think we have to also start talking about this to people, to the other parents and to everyone else so this conversation gets more awareness so everybody understands, you know, what your neighbor's dealing with or what your teacher's dealing with and what your kid's friends are dealing with. So without any further ado, tell us a little bit about yourself, both religiously and professionally, and then we'll jump into today's topic.
1: Okay, my name is Sarah Hirsch. I live in Dalton with Laura Marion. I have... Three kids who all go to the same school, Cascator Academy. I was born and raised in Chicago.
0: And you went to from schools to Jewish school growing up.
1: I went to Jewish school my entire life growing up in Chicago, from preschool through high school. I spent a year in Israel studying at Midrash at Maria, and went to Stern for college, where I got married the day after I graduated. <laughs> moved to Bella Kenwood, and I've been teaching in this school I've been in ever since so it's been 2010.
0: Okay and what do you teach?
1: I teach pre-k so four-year-olds that's been my passion for the last almost 15
0: years. Thank you for that introduction. Let's jump into our topic today tell us how your experience begins with ADD, ADHD.
1: So my experience begins with my children but really goes far back to I guess my childhood with my brothers in hindsight, but my oldest was born and probably like early in his toddler years, I was like something is atypical in my son in terms of his like development, even though he met all of his milestones very typically, something just felt different and no one cares. (laughs) No one cares when your kids are super young you're kind of like struggling in like solitude. Most medical professionals or mental health professionals, they don't care until your kid is really school age of how it's affecting the child, the family, the parents. And how
0: is it affecting?
1: Um, It's hard. Every day is hard. (laughs) Um, I've learned a lot over the years and I'm still learning all the time. Bigger kids, bigger problems. So my oldest is 12 years old and... When he was younger, it was a struggle in terms of his hyperactivity. He was always on the move. We'd go to a Shabbos meal, and I was never at the table. My husband was in medical school, and when my my husband was in his second year of medical school when my oldest was born, and was often on call on the weekends. And so I'd go to Shabbos meals myself and end up really just not at the table, and there was no reason to go out because it was easier to be in my own home because my son would be Always on the move, which is typical for all of us with toddlers. We are all, we've all experienced that. It was a different level though. How so? It's so hard to even fully put into words because I don't I don't actually I don't have an answer necessarily. Like I couldn't take my eyes off of him for even one second because he was in everything, but so is every other child. It just felt different. He couldn't entertain himself ever. He never played by himself. He never had any interests really like he was interested in everything and nothing so it's not like he was interested in like cars and trains superheroes and that was like an obsession for a period of time and that would occupy him rather he would jump from thing to thing to thing and so you know there's you can't have that many activities around you always and things get bored and things get stale and that's when kids get into trouble so in his preschool years I'd say in his toddler years, they were maybe easier than what they then turned into in his preschool years. I'd say when he turned four years old, I actually had the privilege of being his teacher when he was four. And that was one of the hardest years of my teaching. He was It was pre-diagnosis, pre-treatment, and I had another kid who was two and still a husband who was still in training. And so I was really parenting what then became two undiagnosed and untreated ADHD boys solo even though my husband is phenomenal he just physically wasn't around because he was working hard to get to where he is now so when Zach was four he he was a whirlwind like he was getting in trouble everywhere he didn't care about authority he didn't care he didn't care it was hard
0: <laughs> thank you for demonstrating some of this I cannot imagine uh-huh. You're just describing it and my heart's pounding. So let's move on to diagnoses, medication, and what's changed. And as you said, the medical professionals didn't care about it until they are of school age. Does it get better? That's my ultimate question. So, okay.
1: Sure. So getting the actual, getting a diagnosis was not easy. Again, we're going back. around 10, a little less, a little more than 10 years ago, but the school district would only help if it was a academic struggle, which my son, my kids have not, thank God, struggled academically. And so the school district didn't care and the pediatrician couldn't guide me on who to go to to get a diagnosis. They wouldn't diagnose, even though it really is a simple, this is my opinion, a simple checklist. Um, Either meet the criteria or you don't but they wouldn't diagnose. And so no one was telling me who to go to. Do I go to a psychiatrist? Do I go to a neurologist? Do I go to a, I don't know. Like no one would would guide me. And so I kind of asked people in the community who I knew had children with struggles and was guided by one family to a neurologist who in hindsight, that was probably not the best avenue to take, but he met with my son. We did a full- like neuropsych eval, and he was diagnosed on the spot with combined ADHD, with hyperactivity, impulsivity, and distractibility. So he had like the whole gambit.
0: Why did you say in hindsight, it wasn't the best to go to a neurologist?
1: I I think that we, not the neurologist necessarily, I think it was a lot of testing for something I was looking for a simple Really, it's a simple diagnosis. They put him through hours and hours. We I think we went back for two days and then had to go for an additional scan in another town over to test some brain activity. With my second son, we went to a psychiatrist and we did a checklist. And they're like, he has ADHD. So I, there is definitely a learning curve of what the right avenue to take is. And I have learned a lot since then. And I've really helped guide a lot of people in that direction because there is no... Information on who to go to. My best, ex- my best advice is a psychiatrist, <laughs> a pediatric psychiatrist who deals with ADHD. That is the best person to go to.
0: Okay, what's the course of action once the diagnosis is made?
1: Sure. So again, I can only speak from my own personal experience. Every family does things differently, and every doctor will treat differently. In my experience, doctors don't want to medicate really young kids rightfully so the medications are not something small they're they're real medications they're methylphenidates amphetamines they're really affecting our children's brain development their physical development it's stunting them in some ways my kids are both of my boys who were really chubby (laughs) chubby babies and toddlers really, are, are they're thin. They're thin, concerningly thin. But to get my kids medicated was a battle. I had to argue and fight and push that this was the only thing that was going to work for my children. Because at five years old, six years old, therapy wasn't going to work for my neurodiverse child who couldn't process what was going on because his brain was running on overdrive. And so he needed something to help calm him in order to then take in any future therapies we then put into place. So my oldest, we started in first grade and it was a process to figure out the right medication, the right dose. And you're going through, you're going through a lot of medications and they're very expensive medications. And the doctor wants you to come back sometimes every week or give it two weeks. And this doesn't work. So you go up a dose here and then you go up a dose here and then you find out methylphenidates don't work. So you switch to amphetamines and it can take six, seven medications to find the right thing and then the right dose and then in 6 months it's going to change. So it's definitely a process. So my oldest was medicated in first grade, my middle was med- medicated in kindergarten, but he was a safety risk to himself and others. So that was a whole separate type of ADHD I was dealing with. It looked very different than my first, which threw me for a loop because I'm like I I I got this under control a little bit, but then, you know, my second was is a totally different
0: Ball game. Could you give an example of safety risk or not really?
1: Yeah. When he was about almost three, it's so, it uh, sounds like kind of negligence on our part, but when he was like just about three, he, my husband said, don't pull the, don't climb up there and touch that cup. And he touched a mug of boiling water and got secondary burn all over his body. It was terrible. He, was climbing on my car once, told him don't climb on my car. He slipped down his head, hit the windshield in just the perfect spot where he was fine, but my windshield spider out. So um he's built differently. He's built incredibly strong. So he doesn't feel pain the same way other people feel. But things happen around him. Like he's gotten stitches. He's thank God never broken a bone bleeding hera. I don't even want to say it out loud, but he 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 really is built differently. Um, but we've had ER visits, and you know before I b- before I opened the car door when he was younger, that you know I before I pushed the button to the sliding minivan, I'd say Jake, I'm going to open the door. We're in a parking lot. There are moving cars. If a car hits you, you're going to die. And like he that would that would make sense to him. But otherwise, like he would just sprint. He would just go, which is scary. So and and often I I really was solo with my at the time, two and then three kids because still husband was in training, and so it was a lot of me trying to manage two ADHD kids and an infant, two ADHD kids and a toddler, who is you know maybe she has ADHD too. We'll find out.
0: Um, and you wanted to say something about the weight loss on the medication?
1: Yeah. So my my kids don't have a don't have an appetite. My oldest doesn't have, in general, such a big appetite. My middle does have a big appetite. Typically, when medicated, they will not eat the entire day. So, they will go they leave the house around seven forty-five in the morning. They have had a decent breakfast, and they will really starve themselves up until they come home. Let's say around four thirty, five o'clock. My oldest comes home five thirty. It. They will like stuff their faces because they actually haven't eaten anything all day long. And we're really mindful of, we're weighing them constantly and making sure to like provide foods that are high in protein, high in fats. But like I try not to talk about it a lot because I don't want to create a problem with food and make them obsessed about food because they're already weighing themselves constantly. And they're like, I gained four pounds. I'm like, no, it's because you're wearing shoes and pants and shirt. Sure. So it's something that we're constantly tracking because, you know, my, my oldest is a is a pre-tween, I guess, pre-teen. And with that comes obviously development and puberty is not so far away. And I, I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous what the future will look like with with that, but that's,
0: I'll figure that out. When you said it's tricky and more complicated to medicate children at a younger age, what went into your decision to begin medicating? Was it a, the best of two evils or something? What, yes. What's so, the
1: saying? The worst, right, the worst of, the right. lesser of two evils. It was, for my youngest, it was really a safety concern. It was, I, I needed him to, be, uh, he may have been medicated as early as definitely five, I, I don't think earlier he was a, he was a safety risk like we really were afraid for his life and for others around him and he was such a good boy like he really is he's a really good boy he just seems was impulsive like you know so he didn't see danger which is really scary because everything is dangerous and I'm an incredibly anxious person and so I see the danger in everything and he sees the danger in nothing and so now that he is medicated and he's older but he he's more cautious and and I saw that as he was getting older I don't I do believe it's the medication like it allowed his brain his body to stop for a minute and his brain to think for a minute and like process like oh this is not a safe option with my oldest it was more functioning in school at home socially with family like he has he has very big feelings still does and just got a call from school, and he struggled with just keeping his emotions in check. And by the way, medication is not a magic pill, and my husband reminds me of that all the time. Like, just because we're medicating doesn't mean all the issues with the ADHD are gonna go away, and it's still a process but he was more just he couldn't sit in class and he was getting in trouble constantly. And that doesn't feel good for a kid. Forget about the fact that it's disruptive to the teacher and it's annoying for me to have phone calls from the teacher. And it's annoying that you can't sit and eat dinner for five seconds. It doesn't feel good for a kid to constantly be told, stop, sit, don't. I, I have to remind myself often that and I want to believe this, that they're really doing the best that they can with the struggle that they have. And it's really hard to remember that in times of chaos. So that's a goal that I'm constantly working on.
0: <laughs> and are there any other changes in their personality or behavior on the medication that is worth mentioning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So every, every kid will be different on it. It definitely, someone once described my middle son, It was it was sad. She said, it almost looks like the sparkle is gone from his eye and I'm like, "Ugh!" but you're right. But that sparkle is what got him in trouble. So yes, like there's the, it, it dulls them a little bit, which is really sad to say because they're fun. My kids are so fun, but that's what makes them so incredibly difficult. So yeah, I mean, they're more subdued, which teachers appreciate <laughs> and, Like, Shabbos afternoon, we go places. My kids are sitting on the couch reading books. And everyone's like, your kids are really well-behaved. I'm like, yeah, it's because they're on amphetamines. So, yeah, it's when they're not medicated, which is few and far between, because, like, we we prefer when they are. We want to enjoy our time with our children. We don't want them to get in trouble. We don't want them to feel bad constantly. When they're not medicated, they are a lot of fun to be around, but it also is hard to be around them, which is...
0: And when are they not medicated? Is it like Yom Kippur and Tishabov, or...? other <laughs> way
1: they're, they're not my oldest is in the apartments but yet so we're, we haven't crossed that bridge of what do we do in terms of medicating on those days they're sometimes on a sunday although now that like sunday school will be starting they will be medicated on sunday and very infrequently on Shabbos. like sometimes if my oldest wakes up super late on a sunday i'm like okay like we'll skip it for today and we'll just like cross our fingers and try to like avoid each other for most of the day but it's few and far between.
0: And they take it happily, or do you have to fight them on it?
1: They take it very happily. They know, like they're very aware that they're they're not embarrassed about it. They talk about it constantly, um, especially my middle, but they they know it helps them. My oldest pushes back lately he's been pushing like I wanna try without it. And I'm like, For what purpose? Like, you know it's gonna be a bad day, you know. <laughs> so he he's like, Yeah, okay, fine. And then he takes it. So and it's never been an issue with swallowing the pills which is, we've been very grateful.
0: Talk to me about your emotional struggles as a parent.
1: I've beaten myself up over it for years. I still beat myself up over it. Like there's a sense of shame that comes along, especially before a diagnosis. There's a sense of shame that like you're a bad parent and that, you know, you have friends with these perfect children who are just compliant and respectful and calm and will just sit in color and play in one spot. And my kids are like running laps around, um, it's embarrassing. And, you know, I, I used to feel really embarrassed in shul and my kids would be throwing an epic tantrum and it's, it's embarrassing. That's like the biggest word I can use. And there have been so many times where I've just feel like felt beaten down. Like I've done all the things I've gotten my kid diagnosed. I've gotten my kids medicated. I've done therapy with my kids. I've done therapy for myself with my kids, about my kids, and there are still struggles and it just feels like you, sometimes you're up against a brick wall and that's a really hard pill to swallow. Another piece that I really try to remind myself is that i am it's not my job to make my kids good necessarily. I'm providing them all the tools and I'm supporting them and I'm giving them a lot of love and compassion as much as I possibly can. But at the end of the day, like they're their own person. And so I can't can't force them to be a certain way, but it's still embarrassing when they're not <laughs> a certain
0: way. Do you feel like the school system supports you, or let me rephrase: the school system requires the child's cooperation and silence, and what's the the word compliance? Compliance versus what? alternative ways of schooling may not require I I can just hear a hippie parent saying this is my child and I should just nurture him in the environment he needs to be in instead of changing his brain and and things in his brain so he becomes a different child because the classroom requires him so we're all safe so we can manage all the children that need to be watched by one adult or two
1: so I think that there are schools that are that that are that model that are more, you know, out of the box. The school that my kids go to, that I teach in, that your kids are at, it's a pretty traditional, say, traditional educational model, which I love. I, we chose to go there. I, I do like traditional education. I think that the school, I've seen the growth of the school since I, since I've been there. And so it's what it was when I first joined is not what it is now. And I mean that in the most positive of ways. Um, I believe that, you know, there's a box that our children fit in as students. And then the school kind of makes a bigger box around it for neurodiverse children to fit in that box. And so there is room for diversity in the school. I have found that they work with me, but I've also always been a very open-minded parent, regarding that. So I I don't pretend my kids don't have issues. I'm very I want to be a team player. I want to partner with them for my kid's success. I'm not pretending my kids don't have a struggle. The only person that that hurts is is my child. So because I'm open, I think it's helpful for the school to be able to come to me with any concern and they know I'm not going to fight back. They know I'm not going to argue. They know I'm going to support them wholeheartedly. And I always have and I hope to always do that. So I do think the school does a really good job at incorporating neurodiverse children to a degree. There's always going to be things that are more severe that a school, especially a Jewish day school with limited resources, can tend to. But I think for like a traditional ADHD child where the parents are on board partnering and doing all the things, and I do believe that all the things include medication, even though a lot of people don't, I think that kids can be very successful in a traditional education system.
0: And my questions are coming from curiosity and hearing your point of view, not to attack or judge the school. And we love the school. Just want to have that on record. Let's talk about, you know, your dreams for them as growing children, becoming adults and what's out there for them and how do you nurture the best kind of life for them, knowing their struggles?
1: Sure. People have asked me about like, we've had conversations with a This is a topic of a lot of my conversations, but I've had conversations about like my kids in the future and I'm not afraid for my kids in the future. I'm afraid for the journey to get them to that point in the future. Like that's, what's hard. Like I know they're going to be functional adults and perfect do well in the world. And they're so creative and they're so funny and they have, they're so bright. And so they're going to do so well. It's just in school, it's hard Like you have to follow so many rules (laughs) and, there's more flexibility when you're outside of it. You get to work on your passions, what you love and what you care about. And school's not for everybody. Happens to me, my kids do well in school. It's just, I, I'm not afraid for their future. I really think they're going to be successful, productive adults. It's just that journey is hard. Yeah. So I have another, you know, handful of years.
0: <laughs> you did bring up in our pre-conversation the idea of judgment, judgment of other parents or self-judgment. Did the word embarrassing or embarrassment cover all of that, or is there more?
1: Sure there's more. I mean, I think the embarrassment comes from the judgment, because you you always feel judged when your kid's misbehaving. I think all of us as parents, there's a piece of it. I think most of us as parents feel judged to some degree when our kids are acting out, because I think that a lot of times people believe it's a reflection on us as parents, even though it's not. I really, I've been teaching preschool for so many years, it's like a child's behavior is not a reflection on a parent at all. And so parenting is important and the way we parent our kids is important. But I've tried I've worked really hard on giving myself grace and trying to like hope that people are not judging me and rather like empathizing. <laughs> you know, their heart goes out. When I see a parent struggling with a young kid, pre you know, who, who is struggling in these similar areas, um My heart goes out to them because I know the struggles. I'm grateful it's not me in that moment. Like I'm grateful I'm not struggling in that very moment, but my heart really goes out to them because I know, I know the struggle. And this, like our school has sent many parents to me over the years to talk about my journey because they were struggling with what do we do? Like, do I want to medicate my kid? Do I want to diagnose my kid? Am I willing to take this, you know, go this route? And so I feel like my openness of my entire journey with my children's neurodiversity has been helpful for other people. And I I didn't have that when navigating my whole journey. And again, my, my journey is not near over. Thank God.
0: What about your social circle? Do you like to congregate around parents who have similar struggles to you? Or do you want to avoid them because (laughs) you don't want more of that in your life?
1: So neither, like neither here nor there. Like we are, we're friends with, our friends who, like, my husband and I were friends with, you know, pre-kids, our kids have become friends over the years, but not necessarily same grades, even same school. Um, and plus we've also become friends with our kids' friends, parents over the years, just because that's a natural, you know, you're hanging out with them and you like them. And some of the kids have similar struggles, different struggles. I think everyone has some sort of struggle with their child and. Well, you know, I, I think it's nice when we can all talk openly about our kids' struggles because I have a struggle that's diagnosable, which is, like, real. But everyone's struggle is real regardless if it's a diagnosis or not. So, like, I don't care if a kid has ADHD, ODD, autism, like, neurotypical. Like, I don't care about that. Like, if I like you, I like you. And our kids get along, wonderful. And if not, that's a different story. But. <laughs>
0: Okay, as yeah. a parent and a teacher, do you find yourself judging parents who have typical children when they are struggling with something that should be, you know, I you're you're shaking absolutely your head not. now I'm saying that for people listening. So,
1: yeah, so absolutely not. And I I'm going to go back to a story so many years ago when my middle is about to be 10 and so I was talking to a friend of mine who had from the, from the day she gave birth, like she gave birth, no epidural, which was like my my goal in life, no epidural. She was up walking to the hospital like that night, just like walking laps around. She felt amazing. She like her baby slept through the night like the first week, and she was just like nursed beautifully, like no struggle at all. Okay. I mean I'm like dying. My 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 middle stopped sleeping at two months old. He didn't sleep through the night until he was three and a half. Until we got tonsils and anodes removed. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating for one second, I was, and I went back to work at six weeks, and I was just working full-time, it was just a disaster, and she just, like, was, just, like, living the life, and I was so jealous of her, and I remember c- her coming into show day, and she was just, like, I-, I don't even know what to do, like, my, like, she's driving me nuts, and I remember saying, like, that's nuts, like, that's my son on his best day, and I wasn't judgmental, I was just, like, oh, my God, I'm shocked and now I'm just, as I've gotten older, everyone's struggles are real. So I'm I'm really not judging. I think back then I was like, that's insane that you're struggling. Like everything about your life is so perfect and easy. But like one person's easy is not the same as another person's easy. And like not because she's weaker or anything. It was just when, when you're used to a certain level of consistency and that consistency is, you know, rocked, that's hard no matter what. So I, I really don't find myself, I try really hard not to be judgmental because I don't want to be judged for my things. And again, I'm just just grateful it's not my struggle in that moment. <laughs> so
0: well, you sound very nice. All right now. <laughs> Okay, is there anything else we didn't cover that we should I
1: don't know. I think like I'm,
0: as a teacher. I
1: think that's important for like parents to hear, especially those of like littles who maybe are like wondering and considering you know taking that route at some point in their child's life like there's no shame to you as a parent and your child like it's not this like you know black mark that's gonna follow your kid forever it's like the biggest gift you can give to your child I- I'm a huge proponent of labels I think labels allow for the people around you and the people who love you to to help provide for you in the best way possible and so unfortunately we live in a world where not everyone is so nice but when they know that there is a difference, they're going to differentiate accordingly. And so once I was able to say to my kids' teachers, oh, well, my son has a diagnosis of ADHD and here's what it looks like and here's what works really well for him, everyone was willing to bend and differentiate accordingly. But before that, it's not that they wouldn't. It's just that your a child is viewed as like, oh, wait, like, why should your kid need all this extra stuff? Like, he's no different than all the other kids that's sitting in the class. It's hard when you're managing a full class of kids. I, I couldn't understand that more. But like getting your kid that diagnosis is such a gift to your child. And like you're doing the best thing for them. So I'm a huge proponent of diagnoses.
0: It's not that you're giving them the issue. You're giving them the solution or the empowerment to deal with it.
1: Yeah. It happens to be like, children with ADHD are some of the most creative and funny. I,
0: I knew the word issue was the wrong word. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, no, for no, something. it wasn't. Oh, I
1: didn't even think twice about the word. But it, it, it's it's almost if you can get past the executive functioning struggles and the impulsivity struggles and the hyperactivity struggles, you can get past all of that. It's actually like the ADHD is also like such a fun it's fun. Like, my kids are incredibly creative. My kids can hyper-focus and, you know, they can sort of distracted, but they also hyper-focus on things, which could be part of some kids with ADHD and, like, that's also a gift. So there are parts of it, while it's a struggle, like, there is a part of it that's, like, and I, I have to remind myself that a lot, that there is a piece of it that, like, it's special. Would I like my kids not to have ADHD? 100%. It would make my life a lot easier, Am I shocked my kids to have ADHD? Absolutely not. Both of my brothers do. My, I probably do have undiagnosed ADHD. Like it's not, you know, it's so genetic. So it's such a gift. I was never diagnosed back in the early 90s, late 90s. No one was diagnosing girls.
0: And did that affect you?
1: Sure. I struggled. Well, I struggled in school my entire life. School was really hard for me. But when I was a little girl, this is changing the subject, but my, my mother went blind when I was five years old. And so I went to the Jewish day school in my community and it's a close knit place. And everyone's like, well, the family's going through enough. Let's not bother them with this. And so my issues were kind of dropped for a long time till I was older, but I was you know diagnosed with a memory processing, nothing that didn't do anything for me. So Um, Yeah, definitely, definitely affected me. I did not like school. I found school very hard and I didn't have any resources to help me. Funny enough, I work in a school, so.
0: Well, it makes sense. You didn't have the school experience you deserved and wanted. And now you're there to make sure the next generation doesn't miss out on that. Sure. Way to look at it. Okay. Any closing remarks or any stories that are worth sharing right now?
1: I think it's important that you're talking about this. I think it's nice to give voice to parents who are struggling in certain ways. Just want to express that while I'm struggling, we also have a very happy family life. And so while things are struggling, like I struggle constantly. I wouldn't look at our family and be like, it's a disaster in here. Like we have worked to have systems in place so that our family life is actually like, it's, it's calm and like, um, is the really important word there. Um, but I, I appreciate having an opportunity to talk about it in my experience and I hope that it gives other people clarity and
0: feel empowered to help yeah. their children. Thank you for, you know, talking about this and sharing and talking about those low moments as a parent when you think that you're the bad guy and it's a hard thing to say and share. So Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening until the end. Thank you for spending your time with me. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends, family, neighbors, helping the show grow and get these stories, messages, and information out there into our communities. If you'd like to join the WhatsApp group, message me if you'd like to suggest a topic or actually volunteer to share your story on a topic that you are suggesting. Please message me. I always love hearing your feedback and your messages are always appreciated. So keep them coming. Have a beautiful Yanzif, and see you next time.